Good morning to you. My name is Stephen Elliott. I'm the pastor of High School Ministries here at Grace. And uh, it's a great privilege to be able to be here and to uh, open up God's Word together. If you brought your Bibles, we are uh, going to spend some time in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, you have to forgive my voice. I'm a little hoarse. Everyone always says that there are two seasons in the valley, uh, summer and winter, but they often forget the third season, allergy, and I'm enjoying that season right now, so bear with me. Philippians 1. Uh, if you spend any amount of time reading the news, or I don't know if you are a newspaper person, or if you watch the news on TV, or if you do like what I do, I turn on the internet, see what the top several stories are, and go, well, that's depressing, and then go on to something else. Uh, like I said, I personally don't spend a whole lot of time wa watching and reading the news because I don't like to be depressed, and so I try and read other things. But uh, you really don't need to spend a whole lot of time searching through the news uh, before you'll find some story about an employee or an athlete or, uh, you know, someone in government or um, some business guru who, um, you know, was conducting themselves inappropriately, maybe shady business dealings or, um, you know, they weren't acting the way they should be acting. Um, and that could either be in, in the business, you know, in, within the walls of their business or, uh, organization or in their own private lives, but um, typically when those um, actions result in their being uh, terminated, that the, the term that they usually throw out is that uh, they were fired for conduct unbecoming of an employee or an athlete or whatever, but um, businesses, organizations, sports teams, they all want, they all want people who will represent them well. They want, they want people who not only represent them well, you know, well serving in that role, but in their own personal lives. They want people that um, reflect well on them so that when you, you know, identify that person with that business or organization or whatever, you think positively. You don't think, oh, they're the ones that hired that guy. Um, people want um, people whose conduct uh, is, is a good conduct. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he reminds his readers of the fact that above everything else, we represent the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we, as Christians, are called to conduct ourselves in such a way that we represent him well. And that's not just at church. That's not just within the walls of this building we need to put on our really good Christian faces. Um, Paul is saying in, in Philippians 1, he says this to the believers that in every area of your life, uh, you and me, we need to conduct ourselves uh, rightly. You see, Paul wasn't even writing this letter from a church. It's not like he was sitting comfortably in a pew or comfortably behind a desk. He was... Um, chained in a Roman prison. He was literally feet away from a Roman soldier who would not hesitate for a moment to take his life. Um, he 
knew and understood the importance of conducting yourself in a way that represents and reflects well on Jesus Christ. And in the first verses of this book, he shares about his efforts and his desire to shine for Christ. He shares about his struggles, um, his trials, and his desire and his goal and his purpose to shine for Jesus Christ and to conduct himself well. And then starting in verse 27 to 30, which is what we'll be looking at this morning, um, in verse 27 to 30, he makes a transition from his experiences and his encouragement to the believers in Philippi in the midst of their experiences. So he transitions from, listen guys, this is what I'm going through, to verse 27 to where he says, all right, now this is what, as you are going through, this is my encouragement to you. And we're going to spend our time this morning walking through verses 27 to 30. So follow along with me as I read. Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. If you were to paraphrase... Paul's words in verse 27, you might do it this way. You might paraphrase verse 27 by saying, um, by saying this. If you were to summarize his words, it might be these. Believers, let your life say that the thing of greatest worth, greatest value is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Verse 27, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. In other words, he's saying, let your life give worth to the gospel. Let your life display that the thing of greatest importance, of greatest value, of greatest worth to you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, It's really easy to learn what a person values most if you spend any amount of time with them, right? Um, you look at what they wear and whether that might be their, you know, their sports team and they wear, you know, you're like, man, do you have anything other than jerseys of that sports team? Or you look at their Facebook or you talk to them for five minutes and um, it, it's easy to determine what a person most values, what is most important to them, what is priority to them. Um, I always find it funny when you talk to someone who, they may not talk a whole lot, but suddenly you like find what they're interested in and it's like unleash the floodgates, you know? I mean, they, they, I mean, they are happy to share every detail about some, you know, whatever it is they um, most value and most love. Um, but Paul says to us, he says what, what must be of greatest value to us, uh, what be, must be of most importance is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything less is conduct unbecoming of a follower of Christ. But what will this tangibly look like in our church, in our community, and in our personal lives when we 
strive to this, when we strive to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, when we strive to make the gospel our greatest and most, and most important value, um, when we strive to give this worth in our life, what will this actually look like? Um, it can be something we strive for, but if, when someone walks through the doors of our church or watches our lives, what will they see? Um, what will be the byproduct of this? I believe verse 27 and 28 reveals four things. And these are some of your fill-ins if you're taking notes this morning. I believe they will see unity in our reputation. Unity in our reputation. Paul says, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence. In other words, he recognizes that when someone conducts themselves in a way that honors the Lord, there is a reputation that will follow that, that a reputation will just naturally occur from that. And Paul is confident that he will get word of, of their reputation. Your second one, there will be unity in our commitment. Unity in our commitment. Paul says, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. I will know that you stand firm. So there is, when the, when, when the gospel has priority, when the gospel has precedence in our life, uh, there is a commitment to that. There is a willingness to stand strong regardless of what the world throws at us, regardless of what the world puts us through. There is a commitment to the gospel. There will be unity in our work. Unity in our work. Paul says, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So there is a, there is a commitment to, not just to the Lord, but there is a commitment to, to work together, to endure together, to, um, to be shoulder to shoulder together, that you don't just you know, leave the other person hanging, but that you work alongside of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And fourthly, there will be unity in our strength. Unity in our strength. Paul says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So there is a faith in the Lord. There is a trust in the Lord that goes beyond threats and goes beyond fear of, of persecution, fear of, you know, people um, looking down their nose at you or talking bad about you. There is, a, there is a faith and a trust that the Lord is sovereign and that the Lord is in control and that that is greater than any threat, than any fear that, that the world can place on us. That's incredible, isn't that? That's what I want to be like in my own personal life. That's what I hope we as a church should strive for. Um, that's what we should attain for. That's what we should uh, go after. We should pursue these things. Now in verse 29, Paul answers two questions we might have. He answers two questions we might have. He answers why we should endeavor for these things. In other words, he answers why do we even pursue this? Why should we even go after this? And he also answers how we make it happen. How we can make it happen. Verse 29, he says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. 
I want us to spend the rest of our time looking at this verse because I think that in it lies a significant and a valuable truth. And that is that our call from God to serve him is the greatest privilege. That's your next fill-in, by the way, if you're taking notes. Our call from God to serve him is our greatest privilege. You see, this call from God and, and seeing this call from God as a privilege, taking joy in this call, this is what fuels the believer. Um, we can go for a while on our commitments and you know, our, you know, our, our commitment to serve the Lord, but, but man, when, when a believer wakes up in the morning and he has a, a passion to serve the Lord, when he sees his or her service to the Lord as a privilege, as a joy, that is a believer that will serve and serve and serve and not stop serving. The way we really inspire Christ-likeness, the way we show these things that Paul says in verses 27 and 28 to our community, to the world around us, even to the believer seen next to you in your pews, the way we display those things is by showing that serving Christ is the greatest privilege. Paul says that it has been granted to us, not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. The word granted is always used in the New Testament context in the, the form of an extreme, gracious, unmerited gift. It's always used in a way that, that communicates a, a gift of, of immense proportion, a, a gift that is, that is unearned, Undeserved. In fact, the word grace in the Greek is the root word for the Greek word for granted. They're, they're in many ways virtually, um, they're, they're uh, very much the same. Paul is, is saying in, in verse 29, um, he, he, he could say, it has been graced to you. It has been gifted to you, not only to know Christ, but to suffer for him. Um, it has been graciously handed to you as a present. And what Paul is saying in verse 29 is that there is, there is no separation. There is no disconnect between the free, gracious gift of salvation that we have in Christ and the free, gracious gift that we have to serve him. In, in, so often, as believers, we, we separate the two. We see our our gift of salvation as, as just that. We see it as a gift. We see it as this free, undeserved gift that God has given us, and we are so grateful for it. But then also, we, we sometimes make the mistake in thinking that, um, that everything that we have to serve Christ is just this duty, is this chore, is this um, obligation. We don't realize, and what Paul is saying here is that there is no separation. Everything from from start to finish, from the time that we trusted in Christ all the way to the, what you are going through right now as you serve him and even as you suffer for him. He's saying that whole thing is one massive, giant gift of grace. There is no separation between the two. What he's trying to communicate is that everything we have in Christ, the full spectrum, is a gift. Now you might look at verse 29 and you might rightfully say, well, nowhere does he specifically say that the act of service is a gift. He mentions 
the time that we put our faith in Christ. He mentions our salvation in Christ. And he mentions suffering in Christ. But nowhere in there, you might say, is he mentioning you know, just the, the ongoing act of serving him, the day in and the day out act of serving him. Uh, nowhere does he say that that is a gift. He doesn't say that that is a privilege. But I would say, how can you ever suffer for Christ if you are not serving him? Suffering for Christ comes unexpectedly. It comes in the midst of service to him. The Philippian church didn't take announcements on Sunday morning and say, all right, we need people to volunteer to run nursery. And uh, we need someone to volunteer for greeters. And um, we need some people to volunteer for sufferers. Anyone willing to do that? Um, That didn't happen. The Philippian church were servants. And in the midst of their service, at times they endured suffering. You probably know the same thing. Sometimes you sign up to, to, to serve in areas and you sign up to, um, you know, to, to do something and, and you feel, you know, this is for the Lord. And in the midst of doing that, sometimes it gets tough. Sometimes it feels like suffering. Last, um, last week I um, had the privilege. Uh, I was free and so I helped out in, in the nursery. And I was reminded in the midst of that why I love working in high school ministry. <laughs> I, it was, there are people that work so diligently there. They serve so freely, and, and it is their gift and their calling. They do it so well, but it wasn't me. <laughs> but still, it was a privilege. And he, as I was thinking through this, God really used it in my mind in those moments because I was thinking through this, this message, and I thought, Lord, I don't do this well, but I still, it is still a privilege even to serve little infants. Uh, it is still a privilege. In fact, the New Testament translation, which is a, a great translation, I'd encourage you, a side note, I would encourage you if, if you're just starting to pick up your Bible for the first time and read it, it's a really easy to read translation. Um, but the New, Trust, the New Living Translation says this in verse 29. It says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Again, we as Christians often often separate the two. We see our salvation as a gift, but we see our service and our suffering for Christ as a job and as a chore. I believe children best illustrate this distinction. Any of you with children um, know all about Christmas presents and birthday presents, right? You know that Christmas morning, they are up early and they are knocking on your door, and they are wanting to get into the presents. Um, you grandparents probably really know this because you grandparents are the ones that give the best presents, right? You give the parents, you give the presents that the parents don't want you to be giving, don't want their kids to have. And so you know all about the, you know, you watch your children and they tear into presents. I mean, they devour their presents. I'm sure you try and take turns and, you know, okay, your turn, now your turn. That does not work. I'm sure they're like punching holes in their presents and like trying to see if it's a good one and worth opening next. And, and then when they get that present and it's, uh, man, it's something good, they, they don't even wait until you get home until they can like unpack it. They're ripping into it then and parts and pieces are going everywhere and I'm sure they're getting mixed into the wrapping and you're like, okay, calm down, child. Just wait. I mean, there is just an eagerness to devour this present and to get into it. However, you parents, the times when you have the to-do list 
I'm sure there is a strikingly different enthusiasm with, with the to-do list, right? They, for some reason, just aren't as eager to get into the to-do list. You're not, they're not the ones waking you up. You're the ones waking them up. I remember when I was a, uh, when I was a kid, my dad would wake me up on Saturday mornings to, um, you know, to get at yard work. And he was like, no, dad. And he'd wake up, get out of bed. And he would, <laughs> so funny, he would like take books off my bookshelf and like toss them on me. And he'd turn the light on. And, you know, if it was wintertime, he'd turn the fan on or he'd take his, the lamp and like set it on me. I'm like, dad, you're crazy. Leave me alone. Um, but there's just, you know, there is just, Lack of motivation. I also remember in summer times when my, my folks would go to work and us kids, when we were home, um, we would, my mom would leave a to-do list on the counter for us to do. And I remember one, one morning thinking we would be so clever and if we just wouldn't make eye contact with the counter and see the to-do list, we would have an excuse for why we didn't do our jobs. And I remember my mom coming home and um, being irritated that the jobs didn't get done and we would... I remember I saying, we didn't see the list, Mom. If you, we couldn't help it. It's not our fault. And so my mom, who was very wise, uh, the next morning, I remember opening up the refrigerator and seeing the list taped up inside the refrigerator, <laughs> staring at me. Oh, I was a chubby kid, so there, as it, growing up, there wasn't a chance that I wouldn't open the refrigerator. I was <laughs> she, she knew where to put it. But you see, Paul, uh, Paul, again, puts no separation between the two. And, um, you know, I'm sure, again, I'm sure you know that, that battle to get your kids to try and just do what they should do um, and to, to help out. But uh, we as Christians need to have an eagerness. We need to see our service to the Lord as just that. It is service to the Lord. It is a privilege to honor him. Paul puts no separation between the two. Our salvation the opportunities to serve, and even the opportunity to suffer is a gracious, gracious gift and privilege. And so we need to be aware of our thinking and our mindset. Let me say that I am so impressed with this church in the way that you tirely, tirelessly and selflessly serve each other the way you serve this church, and the way you ultimately serve Christ. And I, I really mean this, and I don't want this message to be one of, listen, you guys need to, you know, get off your rump and start serving. Because this church is, is one that serves. I, I mean, I have been inspired to serve the Lord more and more faithfully by, just by watching how each of you serve. I was at the men's wild game night yesterday, and I was amazed at how many people pitched in. Uh, at, at the end of the evening, um, they said, all right, if you, know, if you could stick around for a few minutes and help break down tables and chairs. And it was like, it was like army ants. Um, I mean, there was you know, dozens of tables and over 100 chairs, and it was just like, boom, 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 done. I mean, it was, it was really amazing. Everyone was just so, and, and laughing and you know, joking, and it was just, I mean, it was really fun, you know? It was, it was actually fun to serve each other and to serve the Lord. And I was really impressed and amazed by it. I'm amazed at uh, when I walk down the children's hallway and I'm humbled when I see how many, how many of you serve just, just week after week and you serve with crazy kids who say crazy things and do crazy things and you probably feel like you're, um, in high school ministry we say, herding cats. Um, you know, you feel like you're you know, trying to wrangle kids and share stories and 
yet you do it week in and week out. Um, or those, as I said earlier, who serve so faithfully in the nursery and do it with such joy. Uh, last, last week, I came back from, from our mission trip to Mexico with the high school students, and it was such an honor. We went down with 36 students and 20 adults, and it was so neat to see students and adults just so happy to jump in and so, you know, have so much fun serving the Lord alongside of each other. Uh, we walk into the cafe, we order coffee and a pastry, uh, we enjoy the music and the slides on Sunday morning, the fantastic worship. Um, we often forget that there is an army of people who, who serve so faithfully behind the scenes, and I know many of you are, are part of that group. And so my, my message, my encouragement to you isn't serve more. My encouragement to you is in the midst of your service, don't lose sight of the fact, don't forget of the fact that serving the Lord is a privilege. Serving Him is, is the greatest joy. It is the greatest calling. Um, it, is, it is a gift that He has graciously given to us. What I believe He's saying to us this morning is, to do not, is that we should not forget why we serve. We should not forget what a privilege it is to serve. We've not only been graciously forgiven of so many sins, we've not only been given a free gift to heaven to spend eternity with him, we have been given the opportunity here and now to actually serve him, to be his hands and feet. Think about that. God has actually selected us to be his servants in this world. Listen, God could do a much better job than you or I could, really. If, it was, if he just said, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it, he could go down to, mission, to Mexico and do a far more efficient job than we could. He could serve up cinnamon rolls and coffee in the, in the cafe, as good as those are, I agree with Tim, that he could serve up stuff that so much better. He could, he could take care of nursery all by himself. You would just drop your kids off, they would go to sleep, they wouldn't even poop their pants. It would be, it, it would be great. I mean, he's, he's the ultimate Sunday school teacher. Exactly. <laughs> but in God's great grace, in his incredible mercy, in his sovereignty, in his faith, he has chosen to use us and to place us in roles where we don't just sit on the sidelines, but where we actively have the opportunity to serve him, to where we can respond in gratitude and we can respond with action. What an honor, what a joy it is to serve our king. And this doesn't just apply to our service here at church, by the way. I'm not just talking about the time you put in, in behind the doors of Grace Community Church. This is, this is at your homes, this is in your jobs. This is with your neighbors. And some of you with neighbors know all about suffering, I'm sure. I want, I want us to see that, that every area of our life, everything that we are called to, every place that God has placed us in is a gift from him. It is something that he has given us, and it is a privilege, and it is a privilege to serve him. Although we may, are in our jobs, in our homes, we may feel like we're working 
for, an, for a boss. We may feel like we're working you know, for our family, but we need to see that ultimately we are serving the Lord. Ultimately, what we do, we do for the Lord, and we need to see it as a privilege. As Paul says, it has been granted to us. It has been gifted to us. This also applies to our personal time with the Lord. Um, how many of us, when, when it's time to do our devotions, to do the time that we, when we read in Scripture, I'm just as guilty of this, I think, okay, got to put in the time, got to put in the, you know, got to take a few minutes, read, read through the Scriptures, do my devotion. Uh, we, we just see it as, as a duty. But what a joy that God has preserved and that God has um, given us the scriptures, that he has put it in a language that we, that we can read, that he has made himself known to us, that we could read about him and understand him and study him more and more and more. What a privilege that is. What a gift that we hold in our hands, yet so often we let it just, I'm just as guilty of this, we let it sit on our nightstand and collect dust. What a privilege we have in front of us. What a gift. It is the greatest gift. I encourage you, just as your kids devour their Christmas presents and birthday presents and tear into, a, um, tear into God's word, uh, see it as, as an incredible gift that we have to know him more. I want to close with this quote. It's from Charles Thomas Studd. It's a pretty cool last name. Studd served as a missionary for 46 years in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and he served in uh, China, and he served in India, and he served in Africa, and ultimately it was in Africa that he finally died. Studd was the heir to an absolute fortune, and before he even was the rightful before he even actually inherited that fortune, he signed it all away. He gave away um, everything to, to missions organizations for the spread of the gospel. Um, his, he devoted his life to serving Christ. In fact, when, when he actually did inherit um, his funds, he realized that he had more than what he had originally given away. And so he gave even that away. He realized, oh, there's more that God has given me to give away. And so he even gave that away. But he said this, he says, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, in other words, if Jesus Christ is really God, and if he really, as we say and claim, if he really died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Ultimately, as we look to communion this morning, that is the message that is really illustrated in communion. What we do each month as we observe communion, we see that it is a, it is a reminder that our Lord has placed in front of us. And it's, a, it's an important reminder. We are so prone to forget, aren't we? We are so fickle people. We, we have to put sticky notes and things in front of us all the time just to, to remind us of things not to forget. <laughs> you know, we have to... You know, don't forget about this. Remember this. This is something that God put in place to remind us constantly. This is the most important thing that we could ever remember. If there's anything that we should not forget, it is this. And it is the fact that Jesus Christ died in your place and in mine.
You see, we're not called to serve and sacrifice to a, a God who is distant. We are not called to serve and sacrifice to a God that has no concept of those terms. If you ever do any kind of reading about Greek mythology or any kind of other, you know, gods of literature, you, those gods are often so distant and they just sit back comfortably and they command the humans to do their bidding. God's not like that. The God that you and I serve, the true God of the scriptures, that is a God that first served, that first sacrificed and suffered. He was the one that first gave. He was the one that first suffered. And he saw it as a privilege. So what he calls us to do, he went through that first. He went through it so that we could walk through it as well, so that he could know and relate. We give gladly because our Lord Jesus served and sacrificed gladly for us. And we remember that in the communion. Scripture says that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. All of you drink. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you could pass those cups to the nearest aisle, these gentlemen who serve so graciously and faithfully will collect those. I don't know where you're at. This, I realize there's a, a whole lot going on in this room, and I know very, very little of that. Um, maybe right now in your life it is so easy to serve the Lord. It is such a privilege and such a joy. And um, I mean, you're just, just so excited and energized. Maybe it is much more difficult than that for you, depending on where you're at. Um, the Lord knows that, and the Lord understands, and he is gracious. Um, I encourage you to talk to him about that, to be honest with him. Um, the, the close of the service after we pray. Um, I'll be up here and some other members of the pastoral staff and elders and deacons. Uh, if you want to talk with us, if you want to pray, maybe you don't even know the Lord. Maybe the whole idea of, of serving the Lord and the privilege that comes with that is just foreign to you, but you want to know more, we would be happy. It would be our, our absolute privilege and joy to talk to you about that and to tell you what the Lord has done in our life and what he can do in yours as well. I also want to remind you that at the close of the service, we'll be taking our deacon's offering, and that is um, a very special offering that, that we use to, to, to be the hands and feet of Christ. When people come to us needing help, uh, either people from within the church or within the community, and they need help, um, we've all been there, um, this is what equips us to help them in the name of Christ and uh, to share the gospel with them and to um, be a light to them and in their lives. So I encourage you to please give to that and to give generously. Let me pray for us. Father, today give us the eyes to see your gifts that you give us so very graciously. Move in our hearts 
May we see the may we see what a privilege it is to serve you. What a matchless gift we have in you. Pray that we will honor you and bring you glory today. Pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.